Welcome to Supercharged, the Change and Comms podcast. I'm Chris Bradley and I'm here with Pete Hodges and we're both delighted this week to have a special guest with us. So it's a big warm welcome to the very talented Max. This episode is called The Gap Between and Max is joining us to talk about the gap between the PM and the end users when a change manager isn't appointed. Hi Pete, hi Max. Hi guys. Great to have you here. Good to see you again, Pete. Right, Max, you've been in and around the IT and tech scene as a program or project manager for about 10 or 11 years. What's your highlight? Hi, Chris. Thanks for that. Um, the one before my last one, which was University of Exeter, where I joined to do a bog standard storage move. And then COVID hit, everyone went home. And it was very much a COVID mobilization to, to get all the learning online by the first day of term in September. Great challenge. Great project. Good people. Enjoyed it. Yeah, you're right. It really does hone the focus, doesn't it? When you know that you've got a hard and fast deadline that can't be moved. You know, beginning of September, students are back. We've got to be ready to rock and roll. <laughs> sure. That was in the first year of the pandemic as well, when everything kind of went a bit. It was that uh, March. We had that little bit of Easter and we sort of limped our way through, uh, pumping up the VPNs and all other kinds of things and trying to get people used to working from home when they'd never done it, uh, never dialed in never shared a file or anything else so got a way through to the summer break and then the hard work started to get everything online was that what you were told would happen at the start of the project or did the pandemic come in midway through no i had no idea so i was doing that storage for the researchers completely replacing all their storage as a project the cloudy and stuff and everything else came in and took over from someone that had already burnt half the time so it was quite a high pressure project anyway and then they had a complete down tools when they, when they heard everyone was going home and they sacked off a load of projects, kept a few project managers and then redistributed the work. And I luckily got the big one. So it was good. Yeah, it's good <laughs> stuff. That was good stuff. I remember that well, actually. And, and that, that was one of the times where I don't think there was a gap between. Uh, I, I think there may have been a change manager in and around the scene at that time. Um, we had access to one, Chris. We had, we had access to one. <laughs> Pete, kick us off then about the gap between. Okay, so first question is, what is the biggest impact to you in not having a change manager on your on like a program or a project? Usually when I'm a project manager, I get hired by someone to go into somewhere and deliver a project. So you'd have somewhere like the university, I'd come in with say, uh, Claudian, and I'd come in, deliver the solution, it would get handed over to BAU, we'd help your support people get ready to support it, and then we'd leave again. So there'd be the project manager on your side that would have more access to change. But, but usually when you go in a smaller company, there's no PM on their side. They look to me to do both sides of the fence. So change management, like I said to you, very, very rare that we get involved in one. Um, what will happen is they'll come to us and someone within the company will say, what is it you're doing? Like I, I worked for a managed print solution company and that's changed to a lot of people. That person's walked up the corridor, used that printer for four years, six years, even longer, and you're changing it to something else. The panic sets out, the rumors start, oh, they're changing the printers, they're doing less of them, so that we now have to walk an extra 30 meters and everyone's gonna be using it. And they don't like it. So you need to get in really, really quickly, find out who the, uh, the big talkers are, the big managers, and put everyone's mind at ease, answer the questions. Um, do you find when, it helps you then to so if you have got a change manager with you on a program to, to basically to do all of that does that help oh, you then to focus on more of the the delivery side of things yeah and, and a lot of the time it it wasn't a change manager per se it was a training manager 
So someone will be in charge of on the day training people to use a new device, but a good manager will contact the client ahead of time and say, this is what's going to happen. I'll come in and train a few people before the change. So there'll be one of the new printers in the corner of the office. People come to it one at a time and they'll also floor walk on the day. And, and the big saver is my engineers don't get asked questions. There are different types of people in the world and engineers don't like people coming up to them with a screwdriver in hand and start asking them questions. Whereas the training love talking to people. They literally just walk up to people in the queue at dinner and start asking them about printers. It's what they love doing and engineers the opposite. So it's interesting you bring that up, Max, because that really is your background, Chris. So I think you would say training and change management overlap a lot. I think a good change manager will have that ability to support project side in terms of preparing the materials uh, and identifying those stakeholders so they can go out onto the onto the, to the shop floor and, and be the person that's able to talk through an end user the changes that they're about to experience. And I've done a, I've done a printer change project, funnily enough, and, uh, and um, that, that was great fun. It was it was fun because the challenges just didn't stop coming in terms of the differences that people would experience that perhaps you couldn't always see. Um, but what I loved about what Max has said is he just touched upon one of my takeaways from last week in terms of the go-tos, which was, we said last week, Max, uh, the topic we had was around what are your go-tos when you start a new project? And for me, I always said, I need to go find a new best friend, someone who always knows yeah. uh, you know, how the ground is run, how things are happening. And you've kind of you've touched upon the same point there. So yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting to see someone else has that, that same perspective. But yeah, going back to that point, but yeah, training comms, uh, uh, pushing these things together, you start to build out a really strong change function. So um, Max, a thought from me was if I gave you a pen and a whiteboard, you know, I said to you, if you were to draw this picture that summarized a sponsor's expectations when they say, I'm really sorry, Max, but we've got no money for a, a, a change manager, uh, it's going to be over to you. What picture would you draw on this whiteboard? What was it? You know, if you, were to, if you were to sketch a picture, what would you go for in that moment? Early engagement and constant engagement. So it's, uh, and I think people judge by the words. Um, so a company will hear stuff comes up to the top guy about new printers coming or about the switch to Windows 10 or bring device to work or something like that. And um, the mood of that is what he judges my project on. So when I come <laughs> in once a week and he sees me and I'm the guy delivering this thing, if it's all gloom and doom, you know, uh, then he just looks at me and sees gloom and doom. But when, he, when everyone's saying, oh, we, when we get the new thing, we're gonna be able to do that. Have you heard this is coming? Like uh, I used to work somewhere that had it and it was brilliant. This place is finally getting up to speed and all the positive messages and just start filtering it through, but get it before you come. So if the people are talking about it, um, it's the same as when companies do bids and tenders. If you can get a PM into that as early as possible and start shaping the bid, you can respond to it hundred percent. And at the other end of the project, hand over to BAU, get your service delivery guy involved in projects before you're even close to delivery. Something I found interesting is a, it, is if as a change manager you can identify the people that are likely to send missiles straight up to senior executives yeah um, then you're onto a winner because those are the people who you can do a lot of damage i think yeah and it's not always the people you think if you looked at an org chart yeah they <laughs> come out local knowledge gets you in <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah local knowledge if you can get hold of, well we, again it goes back to what you were saying chris and that if you can get get a best friend who kind of knows the place that helps so well I know the important thing is getting the right biscuits that's that oh, clearly yeah, yeah. Is, uh, yeah um so what then you know if 
if so, you're you're in a fortunate position that you've not just been given the contract to do something, but you've also been given the budget to have somebody doing the change management or communication side of things too. Um, what are you looking for from them to help get you to delivery and realise the project benefits? I think, yeah, if I had one assigned at the start of a project, so the advantage would be quite often you have uh, early life support, which is when you sort of go live, but you haven't handed over to BAU and service support yet. So people aren't ringing into the help desk with problems, they come into the project manager. So quite often when you get to the end of a project and you're doing really well, you can see the client start worrying and they're like, so Max is always there and he's leaving. Uh, now they're gonna bring the help desk and expect the same level that this project manager has been delivering, which is difficult. Um, but if you've got a, a change manager and someone going out and getting those, the things that are gonna go wrong in ELS, a good change manager can probably grab those in project time. So they're coming and telling you, do you know what? You're putting this upstairs, but actually they're not allowed to do that up there. They do their tech work somewhere else. And I wasn't aware of that. And this would have hit us in ELS, but because that guy's found out already, you've ironed a lot out. So you're looking for a really smooth ELS with hardly any problems, hand over to BAU, a lot smoother. Just to, yeah. for anyone who's not sure, ELS is? Uh, early life support. There, there are other things it's called. Everyone has a little phrase for it. Um, can't not end of life support. No. <laughs> I think the other thing you touched upon as well there, Max, as well for me, is that a lot of organisations don't put in place like a business readiness checklist. So before you get to your go, no go decision, you want to know from a PM's perspective, right? And I, I'm not, I'm, we could talk to Pete about inheriting a project when the project manager runs off uh, because of a budget's uh, expired or, or it's getting close to contract end time but that business readiness checklist has given us a perspective for you right that says a we have been around stakeholders and stakeholders are fully aware as to what we're delivering b we've been around end users and they understand what's going to happen to them when we turn that go live on c that the training has been delivered and you can go into that sponsor and go don't worry about it change guy's done that for me that's done that's done i've got a checklist here that says these things were done what we now need to really focus on is to make sure that the technical cutover is right. I mean, that's got to be a big help for you to not have to worry about that end user engagement, oh, right? It was someone who ran the help desk at the university and had the Splunk screen up with everything on it. Um, we went and engaged them during the project. And he said we were the first project to ever do that. It's amazing. Yeah. Normally, this thing comes up. It adds to the screen and it's got red on it and green and they have to go and find out what that thing is that popped up and it's like yeah you've just you support that no training didn't know what it was even if they're just triaging the call and contacting the vendor and that might be written on a stick it somewhere that's on their desk yeah if someone calls in just press one send them to this you've still got to triage you still got to respond and know what there's nothing worse. You ring support and say this has happened, and they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. You have to do the same at the end, though. I think as well when you're when you're really like ready to um, hand everything over to a help desk, is make sure they really know the ins and outs of everything. They've got all the documentation. In fact, that's an interesting point because they um, that often is the time when they then start asking things that they don't know. <laughs> oh yeah, I can't remember. I, I remember it was Chris or you change the script on a call it was the script that they answer yeah um, i remember that and they answer the phone with and what buttons they press and it literally our service came in and affected that it was a change of triage it was is it this then do that and and it's for people reading off when they join the company and answer the call it's small what do you find 
What do you find happens, Max, when they don't give you any budget in terms of your 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 plan? So you you've come in, you've been parachuted in, you've got X, Y, and Z to deliver. If you're lucky, you're there from the beginning, right? So you've got you've got that background in there, hopefully involved in business case stage. But they've not they've not allocated you any money for staff or end user training. I mean, what I I can understand what the impact is, but what what goes through your mind of that perspective as a as a project or a program manager? Usually, that I'm, I'm dealing with it now, so I'm delivering um, innovation, and um, we are adding a service. So something's moved into Azure. It's different kinds of uh, products and services that weren't being dealt with before. We get into a certain point near the handover project and starting talking about delivery, and it's the old: if you don't time that right, the feedback is really cold, and it's the this is the first I've heard of this. And if there's a two-week SLA followed by another two-week third-party SLA to get something added, they will take all of that time. It, they were, you know, they don't work with you. So you've got to firefly. I've got to ring him one to one, never email him. It has to be personal, get to know him, easily <laughs> cool down the or warm up the iceberg, let's say, for yeah, it's yeah. Taken three weeks now. And I'm at a point where we're getting on really well. And then you have a little bit about business at the end of a call. Because they have the, all of those SLAs are in place to protect them, and they will use them against you. And, I, and I've, I've used this phrase in the last podcast as well, where you, what, that first bit you described is almost therapy, right? You're having to kind of just listen, explain, and listen, and, and just let them have that moment to express how they feel or, or, or the things that they, they, they think they're going to have to start doing. There's an impact yeah. to you there, though, right? As well, isn't there? Because if you're having to have that, that time and those calls with these stakeholders, you're clearly not have, not having to do something else. Something else is either being parked or dropped, and and and, and that I guess is going to impact your deliverables in some way, shape, or form, at least. Yeah, you have to put that there is costs against delays and you get to a point in a project. It's probably with public sector as well. It's it's opposite to any other project. You start with the funding Yeah. Um, with, can you give us 10 million pounds? We'd like to do something a bit like this. You secure the funding because you're being innovative and that's your, your steer as a division. Then you get a bit more detail around it and they okay it. Then you get a statement of work and then you go off and get it done. So you're going backwards and this the money if you've got people two devs sat on a bench that aren't working this week because they haven't got access because you didn't agree it you're burning money and, and that money's finite and it's going downwards now instead of anything getting done um, and, and that there pete is I, I i'm speaking for you i guess but you, you jump in that's the gap between isn't it that's the point that says that if you haven't got that change manager in there that's leading that stakeholder engagement on behalf of the, the pm you're going to, in some way, shape or form, impact the, the, the benefit or the value that comes out of that investment in the first place, because people are having to spend more time doing a, a part of a role, which they just haven't got the time to do, which is slowing something else up somewhere. Yeah. Therefore, the end value result is, is reduced. Yeah, I think my answer would be for a project to be successfully delivered, you've got to deliver change management one way or another. Hey, listen, we, before we wrap up today, let's just have a, a quick thought, because there's a, an announcement by um, our uh, new government this morning where IR35 is being repealed. Now, uh, three <laughs> contractors on a call. This has got to be uh, a moment of celebration for us, hasn't it? Uh, I think uh, we're going back it's to the rules of 2017, right? I came back to the university after I finished the project I was on and got went back for six weeks with the business school to do a um, to support them in a discovery for a new I think it was AML I can't remember what they call it but it's where they register for courses courses at the business school the software they use um, I finished that off and it was all changing the IR35 
And I did an inside IR for six months with a law firm in Bristol, um, cloud migration and cohabitation of their IT. And uh, just because you hear everyone talking about anything, I'm just going to do it. And then I'll know exactly what it is. It's just clutter, just doubling up on all the work I'd done, paying an umbrella company to do payroll when I already had it. Yeah. Um, and I said I'd never touch it again, and I haven't. I'm outside the minute, and I wouldn't do inside. I think it's a great thing that they've they've finally taken that view because it was just it was just bonkers, wasn't it? That IR35, yeah, private and public sector in such a way that I'm I'm convinced it wasn't hitting the people it was targeted to. It hit everybody else. Yeah. Um, and, and it was like never say, used that, properly. And there was a lot of companies that were just that law firm I was with just said they were too worried about doing it another way. And I said, well, the bottom line is that there should be someone else available if I'm not there. But I said, the company that are representing me to you, I have never met. I haven't no. even spoken to them on a phone. I filled in a web form and we're off and yeah. running. If you think they're going to come up with a PM on Monday, if I go Friday, it's not going to happen. sadly it? mistaken. They're just going to recruit for one, same as anyone else would. Yeah, is that, and I mean, really, all the, the legislation change that's coming through next year means is that the risk has just been reversed again. It's put back onto the contract, not the organisation. So the organisation didn't have to do these blanket IR thirty five pieces. And from what I, I've I've worked out, from most places that put IR uh, that apply IR is that they have to bump the rate up anyway to attract the right contractor. So, so they haven't really gained or saved anything apart from probably an extra bit of bunts that's gone into uh, into HMRC, I guess. But um, I think that was it. That's pretty much it. Right, last question then. Pete wants to talk to you about Biscuit. Go on, go on, Pete, you hit it. Oh, yeah, yeah. We know we should have started with this. Um, we just want to confirm what your favourite Biscuit is. <laughs> yeah, that, it, it's a difficult one, mate. I'm a bit old school, rich tea. That's me, a Ooh. simple well, new fuss, mate. I was, I was hoping you'd say that. AFBI my... Biscuit. <laughs> my my latest is. innovation is Nutella on a rich tea. You okay. could tell he's in the, uh, the Mediterranean when Nutella <laughs> is on every shelf of every supermarket. The, the biscuit analogy comes from the, the rugby when you get sighted, you know, in the Premier League. If, you, if something happens on the pitch and no one saw it and then they see it afterwards and you get sighted, you punch the guy in the face, you didn't mean to, you're in front of the board, take good biscuits, say you're sorry, in other words, which is how rugby works, and the ban comes downwards. That's amazing. I wouldn't say... I never even did anything with a handful of soggy biscuits, mate. You're going down for a long time. Uh, so you want to take a good biscuit. Is rich tea in the rugby world considered a good biscuit? I, I, I think I'd go down for a long time with rich tea. <laughs> I think you'd, put, you'd be like the, the other half of the rich tea that went in the coffee. That goes down to the bottom of the cup for a long time. <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't end well at all. No, it's great to catch you again, Max. It's been a, a little while since we last met. I hope we all yeah, get guys, together man. again soon. Um, it's uh, it's been it's been great. Nice I hope so, you. mate. So if you ever need a PM, you know, give me a shout. Well, we'll end the podcast with that. <laughs> <laughs> great. Right. Until next time, folks. Thanks, guys. Take it easy.